0: Let's talk about touching the money nerve, how emotions underpin our relationship with money. My guest is Bob Wheeler, and this is episode 263 of the Marketing and Finance Podcast. This podcast is all about keeping marketing simple and all things finance. I'm Roger Edwards, a professional speaker and consultant from Edinburgh. Talk to me if you want to cut the complexity and the BS from your marketing strategy. Hello and welcome to the Marketing and Finance Podcast. Thank you, as always, for downloading or streaming the show. And also, thank you so much for all your feedback. I really do appreciate you taking the time to do that. If you enjoy the Marketing and Finance Podcast and you'd like to show your appreciation and maybe support the show a little, there are two things that you could do. First of all, you could buy a copy of my new book, Cats, Mats and Marketing Plans. How to build a simple marketing strategy and avoid complexity as your business grows. Just go to rogeredwards.co.uk forward slash book. That's rogeredwards.co.uk forward slash book. And you'll get all the links you need to buy the paperback or download the Kindle edition. Second thing you could do is you could buy me a coffee. Yes, Believe it or not, there is actually a website called Buy Me A Coffee. Simply go to buymeacoffee.com forward slash Roger Edwards and you can buy me a coffee to show your appreciation for the marketing and finance podcast. And I'd like to say thank you for that in advance. This week, my guest is Bob Wheeler from Santa Monica in the United States, and I really love his quirky approach to money. And we're going to talk about touching the money nerve. So let's get straight into that interview with Bob right here on the Marketing and Finance Podcast. Bob Wheeler, welcome to the Marketing and Finance Podcast.
1: Thank you. Great to be here, Roger.
0: Now, Bob, I just found out in the green room before we press record that you live in Santa Monica, which is fantastic because uh, I know the area relatively well. My sister's lived in Venice Beach for oh, at least the last thirty-five years, so I sort of know where you're coming from.
1: <laughs> well, it's a good place to be, um, even when it's cold. It's still still a good place to be in the world.
0: Well, I woke woke up to snow this morning, and I'm sure you oh. didn't. So <laughs> <laughs> now, now, no. Bob, you've got an intriguing business an intriguing website an intriguing couple of podcasts and an an intriguing side hustle being CFO for the Comedy Store. Uh, And the website, the business is called The Money Nerve. It looks to me to be quite quirky. And I'd really like to talk to you about where all this came from. But maybe before we get into that, give me a little bit of background about yourself, where you came from, how your career developed, and and basically what makes Bob Wheeler tick.
1: Oh, well, so I'm originally from Tennessee. I grew up in Tennessee. Um, I went to college to be a lawyer. Um, met a bunch of lawyers decided I didn't want to be a lawyer. <laughs> yeah. And I was actually taking accounting as a, as a way to keep my grade point up. Um, cause I, it was pretty, fortunately it came pretty easy for me. So when I graduated, I had all the requirements to sit for the CPA exam and I decided to go for my CPA exam, moved out to California and started doing taxes and all things accounting, which is super exciting for most people. And, uh, it, it was great it was a great gig at the same time i started doing stand up comedy and cuz they go hand in hand right Yeah. comedy <laughs> uh obvious transition and i started i was doing comedy the comedy store is having troubles somebody told mitzi hey bobs the cpa he can help out she called me up you got to help and uh so i got involved with the comedy store i've been the cfo i've been there over 20 22 23 years now and uh got into that. And as, as my friends are all comics and struggling with money, I was a CPA who was supposed to know how to handle money. I was struggling with money and my clients, my tax sessions turned into therapy sessions. And I just saw that there was a lot of fear and shame and embarrassment around money. And I, so I, I really wanted to change that conversation.
0: Yeah. And I think that we said this before as well, before we hit record, Let's face it, financial services in any country, USA, UK, it's not the most exciting of subjects. And, you know, a a lot of companies don't make it exciting. And one of the things I have noticed more recently over the last few years is that finally people are starting to try and make it a little bit more fun. And secondly, I think that they're, they're also trying to approach it from a different Angle and I think you you said it there it's almost like therapy, and whilst for many years we've we've called it independent financial advice or financial planning or holistic financial planning i've more recently heard it described as financial coaching. Would you agree yeah. with that
1: yeah, absolutely. I mean some people call me a money therapist, but I, I think financial coaching is really appropriate. Um, I think that people figure that money is very left brain. So it's very two plus two is four and that's it. Um, But the reality is we have all these emotional attachments when we're making decisions. Um, Is this going to impress people? Am I enough? Do I deserve it? And so all of our emotional components unconsciously play into our money decisions. And that's why I think we have to actually take a, take a, a bigger, broader view at, at how we handle our money.
0: And how did you go about coming up with the idea for The Money Nerve just to make it stand out to make it look different?
1: Yeah, so well what happened was you know when I when I started writing the book um and I knew I just wanted to share my story and other people's stories to just again get that conversation started around money and the thing that I was aware of in myself and other people is that When it comes to money stuff, we have a real visceral reaction. You know, if I overdraw my bank account unexpectedly, you know, I get this pit in my stomach or you win the lottery, you're like, woohoo, and you feel this euphoria. And and so to me, it was a very, you know, somatic experience. And, And so I was trying to think of something that really... Express that. And so I was talking to a couple people and somebody said, well, you know, it's sort of like a nerve. It's a money nerve. I'm like, that's exactly what it is. And so that's, so I had some help, but that's really where I wanted to come from is that this, these decisions around money are also very emotionally based.
0: Yeah, I've been in and out of financial services businesses, albeit on the marketing side. I, I don't have an actual financial background myself. In fact, maths was one of the subjects I <laughs> I struggled with at school. But I have worked in marketing roles in quite a few financial services companies. But even I can identify with what you've been saying there. You know, that that sinking feeling you get in your stomach when you think you're going to go overdrawn. Or, oh, wow, I've just won 10 on the on the lottery you know that that other surge of emotion where 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 does this come from is it hardwired into us in the way that we're brought up the way that we're educated
1: yeah so it starts really young you know between the ages of about four and seven maybe a little bit more but we're absorbing everything we're just taking everything in and then making it a fact Mm. Um, so we're watching our parents fight about money our parents are telling us don't ask for that. You're greedy Um, or you're so stupid when it comes to numbers. And so we start making these stories up when we're really young saying, Oh, never talk about money. It causes a fight. Don't ask for money. People will judge you. And and so we start making these decisions at four five and six that we then carry on into our adult life. um, And and we are not aware of it. And so you can definitely change it. I don't think we're hardwired. I definitely think we're wired, uh, but with a bit of work and and, and self-assessment, you can actually reprogram, rewire, and have a different outcome.
0: And also, we don't have that much uh, financial education in the school curriculum. Well, certainly we don't in the United Kingdom, but I think it's pretty much the same in the States.
1: Uh, it's pretty much the same, absolutely. Yeah.
0: And and so again, these, these uh, perceptions and these habits that are ingrained within us during our childhood, the money nerve is effectively how to wean yourself out of those uh, perceptions and, and habits.
1: Absolutely. It's really about going back and, and looking at where did all this start? What did I observe about my parents? What did they say? What did they not say? Hmm. Uh, what were the judgments they made? And, and then if I grew up in a certain religious community, or if I grew up in a certain ethnic community that happened to think about money in a certain way, all of those socializations. Uh, play into how I feel about money, mm-hmm,
0: mm-hmm. and and if you um, if you're looking at it from a parent's point of view, um, having seen this growing up yourself and having seen this with your clients, what would you be saying to parents these days to get them to change the way they talk about money in front of their children?
1: So one of the things that I really recommend to parents is start including kids in the conversations. Mm -hmm. And so if you're, you know, I I encourage people to have family meetings once a month, once a week to just talk about goals and and where they are financially and, and and what, what people are needing. Uh, But, you know, I, I, remember I saw this kid in a, in a toy store one, one day, and it was in February and the kid was asking for a truck and his mom turned to him and said, you know what? You're so greedy. You've been so bad. I'm going to tell Santa Claus not to give you anything next year. Well, it's February. December's a long way away for a kid that's five years old. And the kid was screaming, mommy, please, please, please don't tell Santa. She's like, that's it. Now, had she just said, honey, we don't have the money right now. Or if we buy this, you can't have that. and, And actually explained it to him instead of shaming him or manipulating him he might've had a much more positive experience about asking for things and then understanding impact.
0: <laughs> Instead of being scared for eight months of the year, 10 months Terrified. of the year, think, <laughs> thinking that he's not going to get the truck from Santa Claus. That's right. I, 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 I can see why that's just not, but, but again, you know, I, I hear similar conversations and I have heard similar conversations. So it, it really is a complete sea change in, in the way that we talk about money. And, and it's, it, it, There is always been that sort of black art about it, again, perhaps highlighted by the financial profession, you know, accountants. We call them chartered accountants in the UK. Right, that's right. (laughs) You know, it sounds really sort of... It's almost almost like a Masonic lodge, isn't it, of of accountants and and financial advisors. They're all, you know, in in pinstripe suits with, uh, you know, uh, braces and uh, lunches for wimps and all of that sort of thing.
1: Absolutely. And, you know, it's interesting because a lot of my peers... Um, and not all of them, but, you know, I go to some of these uh, continuing education seminars and people are talking and they're very, they're talking very highbrow and they're using big words and nobody knows what they're talking about. And I'll just raise my hand and go, Hey, look, I grew up <laughs> in a small town. I'm not that bright. Could you explain it to me in layman terms? And, you know, everybody around me is like, thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Cause nobody wants to admit they don't know what the people are talking about. Cause everybody's trying to sound so, Oh, and you do this and you do that. And, you lost me. So I, I like to talk to my clients in in layman terms so that it's understandable instead of trying me to instead of me trying to be like, oh, I'm a high up on this uh you know pedestal and I know everything and you must come to me because I've done everything perfect. No, I've done everything terribly, yeah. <laughs> but I've learned from my mistakes. And so I can relate to people because. I'm human just like they are.
0: Yeah, this comes up on the Marketing and Finance podcast week in, week out. I've spent most of my career fighting against jargon and, and, and industry speak and, and management speak and that sort of thing. And, and let's face it, every industry, it doesn't matter whether you're a motor car manufacturer or a financial advisor, every industry has its own language. The yeah. problem is, is that it's, it's every country on the has its own language. And and if you go to France and you don't speak French, you're not gonna understand what they're saying. Uh, So if you don't live and breathe financial services every day, then you're not gonna be able to understand what a financial advisor is saying to you if he uses or she uses the jargon of the industry, which is why I keep saying, and I keep coming back to, you have to talk the language of your customer or your client, whichever you wanna call them because only then can you engage them as opposed to bamboozle them with all the techno babble.
1: Yeah, no, that's, that's absolutely true. If, if we're all just talking jargon, it's not helping anybody. Uh, and, and most people won't ask, what do you mean by that? And, and so to me, I want my clients to actually make better choices. And so I want them to understand so that then they can make a conscious choice to say, yeah, that works for me. Um, And I know a lot of financial advisors, I I do talks for, you know, brokerage firms, and I'll talk about the emotions and stuff. And a lot of advisors will come up to me later and go, oh, I never figured out why they wouldn't just hand me a million (laughs) dollars to invest for them when they met me five minutes ago. (laughs) Yeah, let me just hand over my money, and I don't know you at all, but just go do whatever you're going to do.
0: Well, that, that that's like when somebody asks to connect with you on LinkedIn, doesn't it? And you, and you say, yes, okay, I like, I, I don't mind the look of you. You click the um, yes button, and then within about 30 seconds, you get an email from them saying, hey, thanks for connecting. Buy my stuff, buy my stuff, buy my stuff. You do have to create a relationship with people before you start asking them to part with their cash. So, so Bob... Tell me a little bit more about the book, the Money Nerve book. Is it a handbook for people of all ages to get their finances in order, or are you targeting a specific group of people?
1: Well, I think the book's good for anybody, mm-hmm. but you know definitely um, if you've after you've gotten out of college and you're starting to live in the real world um, it's a it's a great workbook um, there are calls to action at the end of every chapter. Um, we explore fears and emotions and unconscious voice, the undervoice. And, and we go through a series of processes. Um, and I use stories and humor, hopefully to, uh, help people start to recognize themselves or recognize where they take themselves out or where they self-sabotage. And, and then I go through those processes. Then I take people through budgeting, which I like to call honest budgeting. Um, and what I mean by that is when I work with people on budgets, a lot of times people will omit things like their addiction or they'll round up their income and they'll round down their expenses. And they're like, I don't know why I don't have any money. So I try to work with people like, let's get real. Let's get honest. And then teaching people to you know, set boundaries and, and learn to ask for help and, and set out life goals and then give steps on how to accomplish a goal. Um, turn it from a dream to a goal. And, and so it's just a step-by-step process to help you get more aware. It's not always fun. Uh, but if you do the work, uh, the payoff is amazing.
0: And the money nerve business itself, uh, mm-hmm. presumably just works with people at a more detailed and a more personal level on some of the topics covered by the book.
1: Absolutely. Yeah. We have an online course called mastering the emotions of money. Um, and I do one-on-one, uh, with people, I also do, uh, I have a bi-weekly group that anybody can call into um, that we, we go through money stuff each week. We do some of the stuff from the book and the program. Um, and just keep trying to create safe spaces for people to explore uh, their money journey.
0: Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So it's, it's a real, as I said before, it's a really quirky approach. Uh, <laughs> yeah. I, I love the title, again, The Money Nerve. It, it, it definitely has touched a nerve with me, which is probably exactly what it's meant to do. Exactly. And it, I'm fascinated as well by this relationship you have with comedy. Um, you've mentioned stand-up, you do stand-up, and mm-hmm. I have to say I've, I've spoken on many stages in many countries across the world, um, but I've never ever tried to tell jokes now (laughs) funnily enough a lot of the speeches that i give um i'm told are very funny but i tend to it tends to be observational humor again maybe observing you know some of the stupid things that happen in the finance world or stupid things that happened in the world in general or the emotional reactions that people have but i've never ever done you know actual stand-up because that's a really difficult gig isn't it
1: well, I guess I'm, you know, if you ask most comics, I think, uh, at least for me, it was therapy. <laughs> so it was, uh, I, for whatever reason, it didn't scare me, uh, to get up in front of a state in front of an audience. Cause I, that microphone felt very protective. Mm-hmm. Um, and I could say whatever I wanted and then just say, just kidding, just kidding. <laughs> uh, so, uh, for me, it was a lot of freedom. Um, but I, the reason I like comedy. And I I think throughout my life, it's a great way to disarm people, uh, to get people to let their defenses down. And so with comedy, I'm able to tell a story that's similar to my client and they can laugh and then say, oh, that's me. So that I'm not attacking them. I'm not making them like, you should do this. I just give them different information in a humorous way that helps them to, to be able to say, oh, okay, I could do it different.
0: And did the stand-up come before the speaking or have they developed together?
1: Uh, Stand-up came first. This will sound weird. People are like, that's so weird. Uh, Getting up in front of people and talking was terrifying for me. Getting up on a stage with a microphone, no big deal. But ask me to get up in front of people and talk about something as an expert or with some helpful information, terrifying. Terrifying. And and comedy was the one place where I felt really safe. The rest of my life, I think I operated for a long time from a place of fear, Um, fear of saying the wrong thing, fear of being successful, fear of being called out, fear, like just so much fear. Um, And I did some other work, uh, core energetics, radical aliveness. I did the somatic work and uh, really helped me to step into my own and, and really take charge. And, you know, now if I'm sitting in front of a or standing in front of a 500 people or Couple thousand people, it's not a big deal um, because I come in as myself instead of trying to be this expert. uh, I come in with somebody with a lot of experience.
0: Yeah, I mean, actually digging a little bit deeper in that, it's a fascinating thing you've just described there. Because on the one hand, you'd think, well, actually, if you stood in front of people as an expert, then presumably you've learnt the presentation or the or the talk that you're going to give, Mm -hmm. whereas you know to an outsider to me the stand up would appear to be much more vulnerable you know right. to the heckler or to you know just bombing or or something like that but may, maybe it's the it's the the improvisation and the adrenaline that get that gets you through the stand up as opposed to that fear of being found out for not being the expert maybe there's a bit more imposter syndrome involved in presentations than there is in being a stand up
1: well, absolutely. I you know, for me in stand up, I don't have to make sense. I just have to make you laugh. Yes. Right? So so I can have non sequiturs. I can jump around. I can talk about my dog and then immediately go into investments. I don't have to make sense. I just need to make you laugh. Um or that's my goal. Uh and and I think you know what what happens for me when I come in as an expert, uh people are there to want to see if they can take you down. Uh all those kinds of things. So I also think that when you come from an expert model versus a beginner's model, uh, you've closed off to things because you're like, that doesn't work. I've already tried it. And so then you come from this model that's very narrowed. And I think you miss opportunities. If I come from a beginner's mindset saying, oh, I'm open, there might be something that I missed. Let me, I'll check that out. It, it, It gives me a lot more permission to not know. And it allows me to share my experience without making it everybody else's.
0: Yeah, that's really interesting. I think, um, as I said to you before, I have had this career long obsession with keeping marketing simple. Uh, I recently published my own book just before Christmas. It actually came out on the 1st of October, which is all about keeping marketing simple. So I never say to people that I'm a marketing expert. I actually right. admit, you know, I've been doing it for nearly 30 years, but I'm learning every day. And if you have that element of humility, then I think people are less likely to want to try to take you down. Whereas yeah. if you do come in and say, hey, I know what I'm talking about. I've been doing this. There's nothing else I can learn now. I am right. the expert. Then you almost immediately get people's backs up and they they want to start finding the chinks in your armour. Uh, but I think yeah. if, you, if you do have that idea, look, marketing is complicated. My job is to try and make it simple for you. Um, and and that and I'm maybe more of an expert in simplicity than I am in marketing. And I think that sometimes that helps.
1: Yeah, absolutely. I mean, for my clients, they're not tax experts. They don't want to know how to do tax returns. They just want to make sure they're getting, you know, the best treatment uh, tax wise, and that they're getting treated with, you know, some kindness. And, and so my job is to do the do the technical stuff, but then convey it in a way that's understandable so that they can actually feel good about what I do. And actually brings us closer together than pushing us further apart.
0: And of course, the other string to your bow, Bob, is that you also have, in addition to the book, in addition to the business, in addition to the comedy stand-up businesses, you also have two podcasts: um, the Money You Should Ask podcast, yep. which sounds like the more serious of the two, and <laughs> Funny Money, which <laughs> I, I gather is is more of a light-hearted uh, look at money. And, and, and indeed, you do have comedians as guests on that show talk talk to me about the podcasts
1: yeah so i started out with funny money and a friend of mine who's a a financial advisor and also a comic we were trying to find ways to make accounting and finances less boring (laughs) a little more exciting and and to to just not take it so serious and so that was the intention um with funny money is to just have a lot more fun with it and and uh like lighten up. Yeah. Uh, and and so that's been a lot of fun. And, and we're, we took a little bit of a break and we're actually restarting back up. Um, Cause you got to take breaks here and there. Yeah. But uh, so that one's just fun. You know, like uh, we did an episode on what's the cheapest pet to have, you know, <laughs> or like we took each other's wallets and went through it and figured out like, why are you holding on this coupon? It's 10 years old. Uh, <laughs> so that just fun stuff. And then Money You Should Ask was a way, again, to start these conversations uh, with people to be a little bit vulnerable um, about what they what they experienced in their childhood, um, choices they've made as adults. And, you know, we joke with people, I ask people, you know, did you ever steal money out of your mom's wallet, um, which can either be a, a really hilarious story or bring up a lot of tears and trauma. And through these stories and people getting vulnerable, you um, it really helps people to say, oh, I'm not alone in that. I mean, we've had a former head of uh, Goldman Sachs. We've we've had like some really amazing people. We've had, uh, I've had some Golden Globe winner, um, just a whole lot of different people so that people can see themselves in any one of those different people.
0: Yeah. And there's also a lesson in here, I think as well, Not not just for the the clients who are listening to this show or the, or the potential customers but also other practitioners and you're obviously putting out a phenomenal amount of content two podcasts, a book and you're out there talking and speaking about yep. the subject that you love and and I often have conversations with it doesn't matter whether it's financial advisors or my other marketing clients you know a podcast, is a good way of getting your message out there, getting people to know you, like you, and trust you enough to do business with you. But the yeah. comeback I'll always get from them uh, is often, "Well, you know, in the UK, Pete Matthews got the the podcast um, nailed, hasn't he? And maybe they'll say in the states, you know, Bob Wheeler's got the podcast nailed. There's not, we don't need another money podcast." Well. I think there's plenty of space for somebody to come up with something just a little bit different, just like you have. You've mixed humor in with money. You know, other people could take a different sort of angle. That The idea is, is to identify your potential client and then make your content stand out, which is what you've done.
1: Yeah, I, I think it's so important that, you know, 100 different people are going to hear the information 100 different ways. And I may only reach... or 20%. And somebody else might come along and say the exact same thing in a slightly different way. And somebody will say, Oh my God, I get it. And so I think there's plenty of room for everybody to uh, share their message. Because for me, the more that we can have a healthier relationship with our money, the more we can actually find gratitude in what we have. It doesn't matter whether I'm the one that helped get you there or one of my colleagues helped get you there. The fact is, let's just all get there. Let's just start having a healthier, happier appreciation for life.
0: Absolutely. And and I suppose that goes right back to one of the things we said right at the start. Finances, financial services, accountancy, whatever it is, it's not the most interesting subject in the world. But you've made it interesting with the content that you've been putting out. And I think that that is the way to alter the perception that people have of financial services industries, is to start Smashing down some of these barriers that we've erected over the years and start to make it interesting, start to make it emotional, start to make it human, start to make it funny, which is what you've done. And that is the way to start engaging with more people in this Slightly dull industry. Now, that last thing you said there was probably going to be the answer to the question that I always ask my podcast guests towards the end of the show. And that question is What's the one big thing you'd like the listeners of the Marketing and Finance Podcast to take from all the experiences you've had building your business over the years? Now, you may have just answered that, but I'll ask you that question nevertheless.
1: Well, what I would say on top of that is uh, go for it, trust yourself. Um, like don't hold back, don't stay in fear. Um, and like I really want people to find gratitude um in, in what they already have. I think we're so focused in advertising, and everybody tells us you should have more and you need this now. And and so we're always looking for something else. And if we could actually just stop and take a moment to look around and say, Wow, I'm breathing, <laughs> I have a roof over my head. Um, I've got great relationships or good relationships, and life's not so bad. Um, I, I think we we miss sight of that as we're trying to run through these hamster wheels of life, uh, running at an extreme fast pace to just slow down a little bit and actually appreciate all that's going on.
0: That's that's wise words. I, I, and I think that if, if there's one thing that this COVID crisis has taught us as well is that you know, because we've spent a lot of time locked down, we haven't had to buy as many things that we don't yeah. need. <laughs> you know yeah. in, the, in 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 Scotland, uh, we went into full lockdown again the day Hmm. after christmas now the day after christmas in the uk is known as boxing day and mainly on boxing day a lot of people will go to the boxing day sales they'll be up at 4 a.m now i've never ever been able to understand why anybody would want to spend (laughs) three weeks build up to christmas shopping 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 have one day off on christmas day and then be out the crack of dawn the following day trying to get stuff they don't need in shops (laughs) and and i think that although it's not good for the shops themselves and especially the big retailers, at least this year has made us think, actually, do I really need that new gizmo? Do I really need that new car? Whatever it might be. And and maybe the answer is, yes, I do need it. But at least it's made us sit back a little bit and think about it. And again, that comes back to having a better relationship with money and a a more emotional um, relationship with money.
1: Yeah. You know, it's interesting. uh, Several of my clients, now that they've been forced to stay home, aren't eating out. And in LA, a lot of my clients eat out six, seven days a week. And I I had a client the other day said, you know what? We've saved $15,000 because now we're cooking at home and we're cooking together and our relationship's better and I get to cook what I want. And and so even in that, I think I had a lot of clients thinking that they were going to fail when the money stopped coming in. And then they realized, oh, I don't need this. I don't need that. Oh, actually, I'm going to make it. I'm going to be okay. Um, But we've just been so used to spend it, spend it, spend it, charge it, charge it, charge it, go, 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 go. I I think the silver lining of this uh, whole crisis has forced us to actually slow down and reflect.
0: And hopefully once it does start to, when we do start to come out of it from a health point of view, we'll manage to keep hold of some of these potential improvements i'm not i'm not saying i want to see any businesses go to the wind because people stop eating out six or seven days a week but those businesses could change the way they operate to accommodate people who perhaps don't want to eat out as much. But maybe we're going off down a little bit of a tangent here. Uh, Bob, it's been really interesting to talk to you today. I've really loved our conversation. The money nerve has definitely touched a nerve with me. Thank you so much for taking time out between Christmas and New Year to talking to me today. Now, I'm hoping that people might want to get in touch with you and maybe talk a little bit more about what you do, perhaps even book you to speak whether it's standup or, or, or money, what's the best way that they should get in touch?
1: Absolutely. So, uh, well, first of all, it's been great being on the show. So I appreciate the opportunity. I love to have these conversations. Uh, people can reach me through the money nerve website and that's nerve, not nerd. I might be a money nerd, <laughs> but, uh, it's the nerve and, uh, you can info at themoneynerve.com. You can reach out. Um, I've got a great team of people. Um, we'd love to hear from people. Um, they can, reach out that way. If they want to book me for a talk, uh, I do, I teach workshops or I facilitate workshops. Um, and then there's a whole lot of resource there for people that just want to browse and not have to feel like there's any pressure. We're not pressuring anybody to buy anything. We're really, really just trying to provide resource so that people can make different choices and have the life that they say they want.
0: Fantastic. And I'll include the links to the website and the other things you've mentioned there in the show notes for the podcast, which you can find at rogeredwards.co.uk forward slash M-A-F. That's rogeredwards.co.uk forward slash M-A-F. Bob, it's been fabulous to talk to you. I normally say to my guests, it'd be great to meet you in person one day, share a beer, have a coffee. Normally when there's 9,000 miles between us, I say it's pretty unlikely, but you never know. Once we get this pandemic out of the way and I come to visit my sister in venice we may well get to have that beer together
1: that sounds good there's we've got an english pub in santa monica so (laughs) i don't know if i can say english because i know you're from scotland but uh uk
0: uk's fine (laughs) cheers thanks very much (laughs) thanks so much take care Thanks for listening to the Marketing and Finance Podcast. If you need help with your marketing, please get in touch at rogeredwards.co.uk. I'd love to work with you. In the meantime, keep marketing your business to keep growing your business.